Hey there, Rob here. On this episode of the Sound School podcast, a story dissection. It's where I take a story apart and explore what makes it tick. Listeners have told me my dissections are some of their favorite episodes because they provide a lot of food for thought in their own work. I hope that holds true today. In this case, I'm dissecting an excerpt, an opening to a podcast series, and I want to take my dissection a step further than usual. Rather than just sort of naming the parts, here the producer is doing this, and here they're doing that, and explaining why I think they made those choices, I also want to talk about what's working and what's not. Apply a little bit of my editor's ear to the writing and the storyline. I won't go to town on it, but I will mention in the selection I've chosen, there's a pretty substantial flaw I don't want you to miss. So I think this episode will work best if I play you the whole clip first. It's about seven minutes. Then I'll go back through the piece and point to various parts of the storytelling. Here's the clip. I do remember driving down the freeway with a nice little wad of cash and thinking that went a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm not threatening anybody or putting a gun in anybody's face. I'm just uh, taking a little bit of money. And... (laughs) I mean, I hate to say this, but in some respects, it was kind of fun. Last summer, I found myself driving around the Seattle area with a guy named Tony. On the left over there, it's across. We were on a tour of sorts, looking for important sites from his past. Farther north, his childhood home, the little coffee kiosk he used to own. But what he really wanted to show me was the last bank he ever robbed. Yeah, go straight. I, to be honest, man, I haven't been down here for a minute. According to Tony, the way this particular bank was situated made it the perfect target for a heist. So what did you like about this location? Oh, I'll show you. Oh, it's a great one. I'll show you when we get up here. <laughs> this is like actually probably one of the easiest ones. Keep going straight. This guy, Tony, Tony Hathaway is his full name. Let's just say he knows a thing or two about robbing banks. Yeah, I robbed. I, I, I went to Marysville, Everett, Linwood, Bothell, uh, Bellevue. Let's see. Well, then, of course, Northgate area down here, Seattle. Good evening and welcome to Washington's Most Wanted. We've never led the show with a bank robber, but I am tonight because the FBI Seattle Safe Streets Task Force needs your help identifying this serial bank robber. Using not much more than a hoodie and a mask cut from a t-shirt, Tony Hathaway became one of the most prolific bank robbers in American history. But the bank we were looking for on this day, that robbery didn't go exactly as planned. It was just a single-story bank, you know, with mostly glass panels all the way around it, which was nice because when I would drive by, I could easily see in there whether there's customers or not. The entrance faced this way. So, yeah, it made it very easy to get in and out of there without a whole lot of people seeing you. So I would park just down here around the corner, come out of the bank, walk down the sidewalk to my getaway car. This guided tour we were on was happening back in July of 2020, in the thick of the pandemic. At this particular moment, we were driving around University Village, or U Village, a huge outdoor shopping center near the University of Washington. So hang on, so take a left up here, though, on this side street if you can. I think we can still drive through. It's a maze of upscale shops. Everlane, CB2, Lululemon, all made up to look like the downtown of an idyllic little village. Tony didn't recognize it. His last clear memory of this place was from over six years ago. Boy, this is a nice shopping center, isn't it? Not since the day his life of crime ended at a key bank. I think if you take a left, yeah, take a left here. 
Oh my goodness. Is it gone? Those little bastards tore it down. Was it right there? It was right there. <laughs> Are you kidding me yeah, right now? A big hole in the ground. That is crazy. It's gone. <laughs> I'm very I'm gravely disappointed that we just drove all the way down here and the <laughs> the one bank we really wanted to see has now been leveled. <laughs> it does not it's a hole in the ground. Dang. I'm Josh Dean. I'm a journalist and the co-creator of both The Clearing and Chameleon Hollywood Con Queen. But I knew even before I made those shows that I wanted to tell Tony Hathaway's story. A few years ago, I was poking around, looking for stories about bank robbers, like really successful ones. I wanted to find someone who was gifted, I guess, at robbing banks. And I stumbled across a small thing in the Seattle newspaper. Local man robs 30 banks. Damn, I thought. That's a lot of banks. Like an in-the-record books kind of number. Seemed like exactly the kind of story I was looking for. Maybe even better. So I wrote to Tony, who was in prison at the time. And when he finally got back to me by email, his response left me kind of speechless. Not sure Not how sure much how much of my story, story you're familiar with, with he wrote. But, but in, in short, short, I worked for a very large I worked for a very large commercial airplane company for 22 years as a technical designer and engineer. Injured my back, had two surgeries, then became addicted to Oxycontin, then heroin, robbed 30 banks in a year, and now prison. Airplane engineer? Did he say heroin? And he robbed 30 banks? I mean, what? I went in looking for a successful bank robber, found one, like maybe one of the most successful ever, and it turns out that's not even the most interesting part of this story. In an instant, the story I thought I was looking for spiraled into something totally different, almost unbelievable. It wasn't just a tall tale about some ingenious bank robber. It was about a middle-aged dad with a comfortable career who became an ingenious bank robber. That's one hell of a midlife crisis. How does that happen? In his very next email, Tony summed up his saga, I guess you could call it, as a, quote, painful story about a guy who pretty much had it made and lost it all because he became addicted to pain medication that he was prescribed by his family doctor. What I didn't know at the time is what I was really being prescribed. I didn't realize that this is basically pharmaceutical heroin. Tony obviously never thought he would become addicted. No one does. But it happened fast, and it cost him everything. His job, his savings, his dignity, everything. And his addiction still looms over him every day, which explains a lot. But it doesn't explain how he ended up wanted by the FBI. I'm a heroin addict, and uh, I had to do something, you know, to not just feed my drug habit, to also help take care of my family. So for me, it was bank robberies was the easiest way to, to get money. Well, easy until you get caught. This is Hooked, an Apple original podcast produced by Campside Media. A story about cops and robbers, doctors and dealers, and getting high versus getting by. Yeah, I, I was a mess. I mean, I overall, I think I was a good person, you know, like to my friends and to, you know, as far as like just being kind to people and but I'm robbing banks like crazy. <laughs>
which is obviously wrong. Part one, the fatal funnel. So there you go. That's the opening to Hooked. The podcast came out about a year ago, and it received rave reviews from listeners. A must-listen, someone wrote. Someone else commented, incredible journey, wild ride. All of which may be true, but the opening didn't convince me to listen further. Sorry for the pun, but it didn't hook me. Let me dive in, and I'll explain why. First, I think there's a lot to like about what the producers did in the opening to the series. Last summer, I found myself driving around the Seattle area with a guy named Tony. On the left over there? We were on a tour of sorts, looking for important sites from his past. His childhood home, the little coffee kiosk he used to own. But what he really wanted to show me was the last bank he ever robbed. I like the driving around looking for something tape. It gives the story forward motion. Without even saying it, that type of tape makes a kind of promise to the listener that will end up someplace interesting, and Tony's going to show us, take us inside. Though, I will say, the fact that they ended up at a bank that had been demolished, well, that was a letdown. The journey, if you will, doesn't really pay off. I wonder if they had tape of visiting another bank, one that's actually still standing. I'm not convinced they need to drive us to the location of his last bank robbery. My sense is any bank would do. In fact, they lean kind of heavily on the fact that he got caught. I might save that for later. Keep going straight. This guy, Tony, Tony Hathaway is his full name. Let's just say he knows a thing or two about robbing banks. Yeah, I robbed. I, I, I went to Marysville, Everett, Linwood, Bothell, uh, Bellevue. Let's see. Well, then, of course, Northgate area down here, Seattle. Good evening and welcome to Washington's Most Wanted. We've never led the show with a bank robber, but I am tonight because the FBI Seattle Safe Streets Task Force needs your help identifying this serial bank robber. There are a couple of other things I like here. For starters, Josh is selling us on Tony's resume, a kind of he's not just any bank robber sort of thing. It's important in a lead to telegraph to the listener why a character is important, why you're focusing on them. The other thing I liked is that they only used one TV clip. Thank you. (laughs) I'm pretty darn sick of employing a montage of news clips in a story. Some people call them waterfalls, by the way, but either way, it's a tired trope. Effective, I suppose. That's why people keep using it, but tired. Using just one clip does the trick for me. There's one more thing I like about this story opening. The production. It's sonically interesting. Take the moment when Josh sends an email to Tony. So I wrote to Tony, who was in prison at the time. And when he finally got back to me by email, his response left me kind of speechless. Not sure Not sure how much, how much of my story, story you're familiar with, with he wrote. But, but in, in short, short, I worked for a very large. I worked for a very large commercial airplane company for 22 years as a technical designer and engineer. Injured my back, had two surgeries, then became addicted to oxycotton, then heroin, robbed 30 banks in a year, and now prison. That's cool, right? I like the crossfading. So between that audio sleight of hand, plus the good pacing and the scene tape and a little bit of music, but not too much, and just one news clip, and the fact that everything is recorded well, I have to say, nicely done. What doesn't work for me is this. I feel like I know the whole story already. I went in looking for a successful bank robber, found one, like maybe one of the most successful ever, and it turns out that's not even the most interesting part of this story. In an instant, the story I thought I was looking for spiraled into something totally different, almost unbelievable. 
It wasn't just a tall tale about some ingenious bank robber. It was about a middle-aged dad with a comfortable career who became an ingenious bank robber. That's one hell of a midlife crisis. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, you already told me with the reading of the email. Tony got injured, became addicted to Oxy, then heroin, then started robbing banks for the money until he got caught. In his very next email, Tony summed up his saga, I guess you could call it, as a, quote, painful story about a guy who pretty much had it made and lost it all because he became addicted to pain medication that he was... As you heard when I played the entire clip at the start, Josh continues to lay out the narrative arc from here and explain the character motivation. So it's, it's not clear to me why I should keep listening. Put another way, I don't have any questions. I mean, sure, there are small questions I have about the details. And how did Tony hurt his back? How much oxy was he given and for how long? What exactly prompted him to start using heroin? And, you know, how bad did his finances get before he walked into that first bank? And, and maybe those small questions are enough for some listeners. But I think the lead into a 10-part series needs some larger questions to be raised. A plot point or a turn in the story that's hinted at that causes a listener to wonder, oh, what's that about? Tell me more. For instance, what about family? Did Tony's bank robbing spree impact family? Well, turns out Tony didn't work alone. He had help from his son, who was also an addict. Okay, so that prompts a question, right? That's a curious plot twist that if alluded to in the beginning, you know, not fully explained, just dropped in to raise the eyebrow of a listener, I might decide to keep listening to see how all that came about and what happened and how it was resolved and so on. In fact, the family aspect to this story is quite touching. The podcast does a decent job sharing the emotional truth of addiction, but none of that is hinted at in the opening. There's no sense that there's something to explore there. And I'll keep going for just another moment. On a related note, the podcast does an okay job of connecting Tony's story with the larger issue of drug addiction in the States. This provides the story with context, but no weight is given to that or to family in the lead. Those elements are missing. To put a fine point on it, it seems like the story is just going to rubberneck at the car crash that was Tony's life for a while. I guess what I'm saying is without tension, a quandary, something puzzling, a promise of a deep dive into something, I've got nowhere to go as a listener. To be fair, leads are hard. There's a dance that's required. Provide enough information to tantalize a listener, but not so much information that a listener feels like they've heard most of the story. Okay, so my critique maybe prompts a question. If the lead to Hooked doesn't quite work because it doesn't raise any big questions, what does work? I'll end this episode with a clip from a different podcast series and ask you to listen with this in mind. After the lead, do you want to know more? Why? What choices did the producers make that are different than the choices the producers of Hooked made? So I'm wondering if you could take us back to what you think of as the beginning of your experience I had a good relationship with psychedelics, so I, I was intrigued. What got me involved? Desperation. I remember people saying, you know, they're your last hope. Do you remember anything about the sorts of doses? Um, with the mushrooms, the number five comes up. Grams, is that? That would be a, a very strong... The person you're hearing ask questions, that's Lily. Did they ever bring ketamine into the sessions with you? Yeah, it was... It's become Lily's mission to get to the truth about something very ugly. Uh, 
Um, and the people answering Lily's questions, they're from a world that used to be her home, the world of psychedelic therapy. The idea was you need to break through. If you were nervous or if you were scared or skeptical of what was going on, you have to surrender. The drugs definitely make you more malleable. Got it. Something awful happened to Lily inside this world. And when she tried to tell her story, people told her to keep quiet. So she left. Now, Lily's back. I really appreciate that you're talking about it because it doesn't get... I've, I haven't experienced it getting talked about very much. Yeah. And this time, she's not alone. It's delicate. Yeah. Um, I used to have such faith in the work. Now, I want to have an honest conversation because I think people's safety depends on it. People's safety absolutely depends on it. I feel like I want to stop. Can we stop? Yeah. I'm Io Tillett Wright, and this is Cover Story from New York Magazine. Season one, Power Trip. I think there are a slew of reasons why the opening to the first season of Cover Story works. For instance, there's a character who believed in something, then didn't. So much so, she walked away, but now she's back. That's great. It suggests narrative arc without giving away all the details. I have more reasons why I like this opening. You can find them at the post for this episode at transom.org. This is the Sound School podcast from PRX and Transom. Genevieve Sponsler at PRX and Jay Allison at Transom take a scalpel to my scripts. Thank you both. And thanks to WCAI in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. That's where I record my narration. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thank you for listening. From PRX. And Transom.org.